know, I'm wondering how long I'll just sit here and, like, watch you text. I, I'm just looking up when I got that, uh, the headphones because I was curious. Gotcha. We are recording now. Okay, I didn't... We're, we're on. I didn't realize we were recording. Yeah. Yeah, we're... Here we are. You know, I don't actually have, like, a game plan planned out for this Okay, thing. well, uh, have you been watching Rick and Morty? I'm a couple episodes behind. Okay. So, uh... Well, uh, what, what was the last episode you saw? Oh, Godhead, maybe? Or the giant head? Show us what you got! Yeah, I think that was the last one. Yeah, the, uh, I think... Been, it, what, two since then? Yeah, the, the uh... The hell happened? The, well, the the most recent one featured uh, Tiny Rick. Nice. And uh, Dean Pelton from Community uh, was a guest voice on this episode. Nice. Uh, Jerry and Beth go to marriage counseling. Well, that that's close to home. <laughs> uh, but it, it was a pretty good episode. Uh, I think my favorite episode of the season so far was uh, has, has been so far the uh, I forget the episode title, but it was the one where. Uh, they did the bottle episode uh, with the alien parasites and all yeah. the random characters. Uh. Which, that episode kind of bugs me because of the fact that their butler is mm-hmm. in the opening credits. Right. And they added Mr. Poopy Butthole to the entire credits of that episode, so it's just kind of, I don't know, uh, kind of bugs me. Uh, qu- question everything, Jerry. Uh. <laughs> Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty, 100 years. 100 years, Rick and Morty. That show is great. What's my dog doing? Walking around looking under your bed. Yeah, I don't. I hope he doesn't take a shit. I just took him outside. Mm-hmm. But it's like all the neighbors had to take their dogs out at the same time. And he gets distracted. So this will be a very interesting episode if he just ends up taking a shit in the middle <laughs> of the floor. So, how's life? Eh. Yeah. Care to share? No, I don't really want to talk about my personal life on here. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to dive deep into the world of Andrew Crowley today. No, get I, some I got dumped, and that's all, that's all I want to say on that subject. One-on-one man time. Um, Intimate man time. To where... Oh, uh, what do we think of uh, like some of the changes with Marvel, like with the creative committee being disbanded? Oh, yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, I'm okay with that. Um, because wasn't there was it you were t- was telling that like it was somebody uh, on the committee was maybe par- par- partially responsible for some of the well, shittier uh, things that were involving uh, Marvel adaptations. I don't know if that was me or not, but uh, uh, Ike Ike uh, Plumletter, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh-huh. Um, who I'll give credit to. If it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be Marvel at mm-hmm. the moment because he was with Toy Biz and Toy. He ended up. Uh, he was the owner of Toy Biz and right, Marvel and they, Legends and everything. Kind of brought Marvel out of the. Because uh, didn't the didn't Toy Toy Biz at one point own Marvel? I think. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, he because Mar- when Marvel he, Marvel got pop when Poplican got sold like an, or declared bankruptcy like in '96. I want to say or I think it was a bit later. Okay, maybe, maybe it was '96 because they were just coming out of it with uh, him and Joe Quesada, mm-hmm. and they really reinvigorated Marvel Comics. And, uh, but Ike was always a, which was good at the time, he was always a penny pincher. Mm-hmm. He was always very stingy with money. Always undercut people, underpaid people. It, that all came from him. 
uh, a couple of years ago when there were all the budget, well, the salary disputes with the actors in the Marvel mm-hmm. films. Uh, that's because of him. And I guess uh, the reason he got, well, that Marvel Studios is now separate from Marvel, uh, Marvel mother, Motherhead, uh, it's because I guess he was really trying to pinch pennies on Civil War. And uh, Kevin Feige, the creative genius behind Marvel Studios, needed more money. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't getting it, which caused a big fight and everything. So. Kind of funny considering the uh, film they were working on. Yeah, exactly. There's a Civil War inside a Civil War. Yeah. But uh, with regard to penny pinching, uh, in the, my opinion, in my kind of my experience... Uh, with that, uh, you know, you're only hurting your long-term future by, uh, you know, pinching pennies. I mean, there's obviously areas where you can cut back, but if you're not, you know, uh, paying folks, you know, a decent living wage, then, you know, that, that can, you know, drive away some of your talent. Oh, and, yeah, uh, sure. you know, I, I think I've read some studies where, uh, like, it's actually uh, more cost-effective to pay folks a higher wage because then you retain staff, morale is uh, better. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, then they have a lot of turnovers because then you have the cost incurred of uh, interviews, uh, training, etc. Well, and you you know you can sign someone. Okay, offer say Robert Downey Jr. seventy five million dollars for so many movies instead mm-hmm. of just paying him for like the fifty million he made off of the first Avengers film. You know, you can if you pay him more up front, you can keep him for longer. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how. Uh, Movie, I I don't really know much about the world of movie contracts. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of like you know, well, what, if there's any sort of cap that they have, uh, I'm more familiar like you know with the intricacies of like uh, NBA teams and their contracts. Uh, uh, and you know the, the league actually. I mean, uh, depending on how they uh, how the meetings go with between uh, the head of the uh, players lobby, uh, players association, uh, and you know, I think it's the players association in the NBA. And Adam Silver, uh, Michelle Roberts, with is the attorney who's the head of the Players Association. Uh, depending on how well her uh, talks go with uh, Adam Silver, uh, you know, we could either we could be looking at another labor lockout uh, in 2017, which uh, not a lot of people want. Uh, there's going to be some interesting uh, developments with that uh, because in some ways NBA players are underpaid uh, for like the the value that they uh, give uh, to their franchise, like you know. For example, LeBron James, based on you know uh, his output, you know it's he's underpaid. Uh, but uh, the problem with that, like uh, the current system, uh, it's like it's all kind of complicated. But uh, essentially, like uh, if you're a small market team, uh, like if uh, yeah, you know, like if there's a tax bill uh, due, like we go over the t- uh, tax line, uh, you have to pay the excess. You have to pay a fine for the the excess amount. Uh, like in a lot of times, uh, teams are uh, reliant on. Like the bigger market teams, like your Brooklyn's, uh, New York Lakers, kind of overspending on free agency, and uh, I one one thing I've heard that might affect uh, like the cap going forward, uh, like it's the middle of the road guys, not because rookie deals are cheap, uh, which I've I've heard there's talk they might you know try and uh, bump those up a little bit, uh, but not to the outlandish levels that that were like in the '90s, like with Chris Webber, uh, Gilbert Arenas, I think also had a pretty ridiculous contract, but that might have been the second one. But they also uh, want to, you know, get the big guys paid. Uh, and some of the deals signed this summer, like uh, Anthony Davis, I think, signed like a $110 million deal, uh, which seems expensive, but, uh, you, know, that, you know, it was signed with the uh, assumption that the cap will go up. So uh, 
the amount of money uh, dedicated to, towards paying him will take up uh, a signif significantly less uh, part of the cap. Uh, so you'll have, like more cap space means you'll have more room to build around uh, talent, uh, and you know franchises are less likely to use uh, franchise uh, players. Uh, be easier to retain them, easier to attract uh, and sign free agents and uh, other things. But, you know, it's going to be an interesting uh, thing going forward. Uh, Zach Lowe wrote a pretty good uh, piece on uh, the current labor standing uh, about maybe two or three weeks ago on Grantland. Hmm. Uh, the other side of the coin is maybe the budget restrictions made them be more creative. Mm hmm So, I, I mean, I guess we'll see... Post Civil mm -hmm. War, right? I, I do think there's you know there's merit uh, to like you know restraining the budget like for for films like as far as like production costs, mm -hmm. uh, but you know like uh as like for like you know maybe the in house guys who do like you know the help 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 you know keep uh, the lights on you know you shouldn't undercut them, but yeah. I I I understand like especially uh. Excuse me, the penny pinching early on with Marvel because you know uh, who's to say? Because uh, I know they they kind of took a ga big gamble with the initial uh, Marvel uh, cinematic films like mm -hmm. Iron Man and uh, well, those were Incredible all Hulk. out of pocket. I mean, they didn't mm -hmm. really have any backers that had people. I mean, Iron Man and Incredible Hulk were basically two in indie films. If you really want to look at it, uh, just high budget indie mm -hmm. films, but. Yeah, they had people that helped pay a little bit for distribution and stuff like Paramount mm -hmm. and Universal. And like, if they, if they had failed, if they had bombed the box office, that probably that would have been it for mm -hmm. Marvel films at, the, at present. No, oh, yeah, for sure. And you know, it, it was probably I'm not sure who uh, sold the rights back in the '90s for like the X Men. Mm -hmm. It could have been him. I, I'm not sure. But looking forward. I don't know. I, I I'm excited a little bit because it's kind of a brave new world, mm -hmm. uh, especially with Doctor Strange coming out. I could see where Kevin Feige was like, I, I need money for Doctor Strange. Uh, I could see maybe they were trying to cut the ball, like cut cut him low for Doctor Strange when when evidently everything that's like being said about it, it's gonna be the Marvel Studios Fantasia. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So. Which is how it probably should be. It should be trippy. It should be strange. <laughs> One thing that does worry me about the split, though, is uh, Marvel Studios is no longer uh, with Marvel Television. Mm -hmm. Marvel Television is still under the Marvel umbrella, which I, I think is kind of odd, especially considering they share a universe. Mm-hmm. So I figured Disney probably would want them to go separate too. What was that? Da, 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 practice squad. All right. It was a Colts update. That's I figured. I don't know was updated to practice squad. I don't know. Okay. Um. But yeah, Marvel Television being separate from the Marvel Studios doesn't quite make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because at some point I would like to see them be a bit more intertwined. Mm hmm Especially considering Marvel Television still has, well, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, as well as the Netflix shows. So I... Hopefully that doesn't cause any issues with, say, Daredevil popping up in something or vice versa. Mm -hmm. If one of the movie characters wants to pop up in one of the Netflix shows, hopefully that doesn't keep that from happening. 
Um, speaking of Netflix shows, uh, what do you think of them uh, dropping the AKA from Jessica Jones? I'm all right with it. Yeah, no, it, it, I I was kind of puzzled by it uh, in the first place just because it didn't. It seemed like it worked better as a title, uh, although you know. But I, I guess you know, like the Jessica Jones is you know kind of plain, but you know it kind of goes in line with you know the the other shows they've done like uh, on Netflix, like Daredevil. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is very plain spoken. There's no, you know, other stuff. Yeah, nothing else with it. Mm-hmm. Well, besides Marvel Studios. Yeah. Because Marvel, well, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the title of that show. Mm-hmm. Same with Marvel's Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the actual titles, that's... Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, to, to either catch, you know, the studio's name to it, uh, or it might also be, like, an issue of, uh, like, uh, to avoid confusion with previous films, like that film, The Butler, uh... Yeah. Like, Lee Daniels, The Butler, because uh, there was a fi- an earlier film called The Butler. So. In the 1930s, called yeah. The Butler. Yeah, so. That's odd. I, th- I think it was mainly for, like, Googling and all that stuff, but yeah, it's. Or they just wanted to really get themselves away from Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Yeah, that's true. Which, I mean, if you guys haven't watched the director's cut of Affleck's Daredevil, please do. It's a lot better movie. <laughs> Winston's on the podcast. Good hear him. <laughs> now he's looking at me weird. Now he's eating his ass. All right. Yep. Uh, did you? Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, we'll stop it. Uh-huh. Have you watched the Jungle Book trailer? I have not. All right. We will hear. All right. Now it's recording. Well, you guys just missed our great talk about the Jungle Book trailer for some reason. Once Andrew watched it. And I hit record. It didn't record again. So, let's try and catch back up. I hate it when this happens. I hate having to re-talk about stuff that we just talked about. All right, about. man. I found a video we'll watch uh, related to the conversation. Uh, okay. At least it's only four minutes. Yeah. It's only four minutes that we missed. Um, uh, but basically, you know, the, the trailer's pretty cool. And, you know, they've, they've, they've done a live-action Jungle Book before. I want to say that came out in uh, 1994. But it was a different uh, story, like a different aspect of the of uh, the book by Roger Kipling. Uh I want to say it was almost like kind of like a sequel to the animated film a little yeah, bit because Mowgli was older. Uh, he was like you know young, young adults, uh, kind of more of an action piece, action film. Uh, than, Did the animals talking that? I don't. Remember uh, them I don't talking, believe so. Yeah. No. But uh, you know this one looks interesting. Uh, like uh, we we talked about how uh, the bare necessities, like uh, at least they didn't do the trend that's popular now, like with using. Uh, Kid songs like vocals only. Uh, like in the, David pointed out, the Avengers uh, Age of Ultron trailer. Yeah, with no strings on me. But uh, yeah, when we were debating like who was doing what voice, uh, I was like, oh, Chris, uh, Christopher Walken's probably King Louie. Uh, Idris Elba is either Shere Khan or fit a lot into four minutes. Yeah, or <laughs> Bagheera, uh, and Bill Murray is obviously Blue. Uh, but uh, I was right about most of the uh, Ben Kingsley is uh, Bagheera, which makes sense. It, he would be yeah. perfect either for him or Shere Khan. Uh, Idris Elba is Shere Khan. Which makes sense because yeah. that dude is pretty intimidating uh, at times, like uh, whether on The Wire or as uh, Charles Wallace on The Office. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for him in the next Star Trek. That'll uh, be awesome. That'll be awesome. I don't know if you've seen any of the like the charity videos that they've been mm-hmm. doing, but there's just a couple videos with Idris Elba and the crew of the, the Enterprise just cracking it up on set I'm just like ah I wish I was on this set with them that would it just looked like fun uh, but speaking of uh, like the Jungle Book uh, we're gonna take another break uh, because uh, I, I, in, the, in the stuff that got lost uh, much like the Nixon White House tapes uh, 
uh, I was talking about how like uh, I kind of looked for years uh, or Hillary's emails. <laughs> uh, but uh, I looked for like uh, like a, a DVD release of the uh, Jungle Book. Uh, that came out like in two thousand eight, roughly. Uh, I, I learned that there was like an alternate version of the Vulture song. We're we're your, we're your friends uh, because the Vultures, you know, are kind of designed to look like the Beatles. Uh, Beatles were originally gonna do the voices of that, but things fell through. And originally they were gonna do like you know a Beatles a Mercy Beat style song, which you know would would have been out of date in nineteen sixty six. You know these films have a long uh, production time, uh, and so Disney uh, put the kibosh on that instead opted for. Uh, Going with uh, a barbershop thing because he thought it would be a little bit more timeless, and the song is better than the. I mean, granted, it was you know a demo like a, a rough, rough animation, and everything like that. But yeah, but a barbershop quartet doesn't seem too timeless. Right, uh, right, but I, uh, but I mean, uh, like it, I, I guess it wouldn't be as tied to the time period as you know the Mercy Beat thing. Yeah. And actually, now that I think about, it, I believe the Jungle Book came out in '66 or '67. So, you know, I mean, that, can you imagine doing that Beatles post-Pepper and post-Revolver? Right. Uh, and this is actually the last uh, film that, did, uh, animated film that Disney supervised before he died. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to watch that clip from The Jungle Book, and then uh, we'll put it back. If they want to watch that, what's the name of the video? I don't know. Let's see. Uh, the Jungle Book. dialogue Bo- here is... The Jungle Book, uh, Platinum Edition, Deleted Scene, Where Your Friends, Alternate Version, uh, was lo- loaded up by uh, Dis- the uh, uh, YouTube user Disney Platinum. Uh, I'll, I'll Probably Disney's account. Maybe, or maybe, we'll see. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. All right, so we're going to watch that, and then we'll come back. Holy shit. You guys need to go watch this video because you realize that maybe the rhino is supposed to have Down syndrome. I like because uh, I I know they actually cut the Rocky scene because Disney felt there was like too much action in the film or some, something like that. Uh, or because they're like we can't have this, like we can't have this guy in our movie. People would think it's super offensive. I don't know. It was the '60s, so they didn't give a shit about anybody. I mean, fair enough. Wow. Alright, I can see why they went with what they did. Yeah, I think he was like a stock... Rocky was like a stock dumb character like, you know, uh, Lenny in uh, Vice and Men. Yeah. Gotcha. But maybe the song would have been better if they had more time to fork on it. It's just just very cheesy. just let the Beatles do it. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Huh. I remember actually reading that, like, uh, because... Only a couple songs, like it was like the Sherman Brothers who wrote composed a lot of uh, songs for Dis- for the Disney films. Uh, then their stuff ended up being like uh, too dark for what they wanted. Uh, I think the o- maybe the only song that uh, lasted, then you know, survived, you know, what they wrote that was used in the film was uh, "Bare Necessities." Gotcha. Which I mean, is probably everyone's favorite song in that movie. Because Kipling, like you know, the, the his book is you know it's yeah you know, it's kind of dark. I mean, like uh, not like you know super, but it's that you know. Dark like a lot of what the Disney movies are actually based on. Yeah, like, not uh, grim dark like uh, like 90s comics, but, you know, dark uh, just because, you know, it's about, you know, life and death, nature, etc. Yeah, gotcha. Huh. Uh, I don't know. I I haven't seen any of the recent uh, live-action versions. I haven't seen, uh, well, I haven't seen Cinderella, which I hear was great. I never watched Maleficent. 
Um, I think the last live action like Disney adaptation mm-hmm. was fucking Alice in Wonderland years ago. Oh yeah, it's like uh, let's see, it's a Johnny Depp. It's let's see, it's a Tim Burton film. Who are the two of the leads going to be? Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. Although the latter, maybe not so much anymore. Maybe not so much. Well, uh, she was in Big Eyes, wasn't she? I don't know. I didn't see it. I forgot that movie existed. Yeah, I, I watched it. I, I kind of fell asleep. It, it, I don't know. Marissa loved it. I just kind of... I could see why she might like that, because of our, our background. Yeah, and I was just kind of... I was tired and slept. Mm-hmm. We red-boxed it. And I went to bed. Uh... I don't know, but it has me excited for Beauty and the Beast, which I think they cast Belle perfectly. Who's playing her? Emma Watson. Okay. Uh, I mean, who else would you get to play Belle? Um, but the only other person I can think of might kind of fit that bill, uh, but probably they probably wouldn't because uh, I don't think it did that well at the box office. Uh, Anna Kendrick, because of because uh, Belle's usually a brunette. Uh, and that was also another Disney movie. Oh yeah, that's right. I I, I, I forgot they did it into the woods. I I yeah. did. Which I thought it was odd because it, I mean that's primarily Cinderella, and then and then a couple months later they did Cinderella. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I thought that was odd. But uh, I don't know. I I don't think Anna. I don't know if she. I like Anna Kendrick. We I actually saw Pitch Perfect two in theaters. Uh. Did you see it in theaters? Did you have you seen Pitch Perfect two? Uh, no, I didn't see the second one. No, yeah, they're but fun. I see like the, the first one is it's entertaining. Yeah, I, the second one's just as fun. Uh, I don't know. If she she doesn't look like Belle to me. I think okay. I don't know. She's cute, but she's not. I don't know. I, I guess I might have always had a crush on Belle mm-hmm. when I was little. Like she's. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Well, I'm not saying Anna Kendrick mm-hmm. isn't, but just not that elegant type of beautiful. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And let's be fair, I like Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> now this this is a this is a whole bullet in here. Yeah. Ounces. That's ridiculous. It's a bullet can. How many ounces is there? This? Oh, this is just a pint. We're sampling some beers. Yeah, uh, this is our not official beer corner. Because, you know, we got a review. Did I tell you? Yeah. We got a review. We talked about it on one of the last episodes. Uh, someone called us a drunk. and Which, uh, where was the lie? Yeah, 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 to be fair. They must have just listened to one of the really bad beer corners. Yeah, I, mean, I only post because everybody's there and we have fun. And yeah, I mean, it's... They're not meant to be our top of the top cream of the crop. Yeah, just a bunch of drunk, dumb, drunk assholes getting stupid together. Yeah. Which, you know, some people I've met actually enjoy those episodes. So, I wish they would make iTunes comments. Uh, just like uh, one of our comments were like, these guys are really funny, but they kind of need to edit a little bit. Which is true, probably. Which is true, yeah. They're just telling me stuff I already know, which I guess is... Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is it a good thing I know it and a bad thing I don't do anything about it? Can you make out what, what, what this beer what beer this is? I can't... <laughs> I have no idea, dude. Because I can't find it on tap. You know, that's the only reason I'm Island drink- Park? 
Is that what it says? That's what I thought. Yeah, Island Park. It's not on Untapped? Nope. I have no idea, then. Uh, oh, Lockheed Da Brewing Company. Does that help? Oh, um, Elkhart, Indiana. Watch. Yeah, uh, yeah, Yakida. Lockheeda. Yakida. Let's see. Lockheeda. That's how it's pronounced. I don't know. I I thought it was the thought it was Yakida. But it said like in the can. Uh... Maybe yeah. that'll help. Yeah. It's I I know uh, like I think I think Yaki does uh, Welsh for like uh, it's like a toast or something like that. They have like a dragon as their logo. They're they're pretty good. We sampled them at a uh, couple uh, brewing co- brew, like uh, brew festivals. Uh... I think somebody's uh, Facebook was hacked. I'm not gonna click on that video. I just got tagged in a video by, uh, oh, let's see here, by Keegan, uh-huh. Robert Keegan, from Sun King. Uh-huh. He tagged me in a video. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think he's been hacked. I'm not going to click on that, just out of concern that I might get hacked by doing that. I just hit uh, remove tag, because... Uh, you don't want that showing up on your wall? No. Did you get tagged in it too? Yep. How do you remove tag? Unfollow? Um, it, like you'll go to the remove corner, uh, post yeah, gotcha. it. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's pretty simple. Yeah. Gotcha. Right on. Easily done. Hi, Winston. You want to talk in the microphone, buddy? Right. You want to talk in the microphone? Huh? are just like, why are we still listening? <laughs> it started out so promising. I'm gonna stop it. And we're back, Drew. All right. Uh, forgot to uh, mention they cast the villain for the next Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, no, it was uh, oh uh, Woody Harrelson. That's yeah, right. Woody Harrelson is gonna be the bad guy in the next Planet of the Apes. That's exciting. I, I love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I never, I haven't seen any of the. Uh, oh man, new you're ones. missing out. Man. I, I heard good things. Yeah, they're. I, I man, I think uh, Dawn came out last year, right? Mm-hmm. Came out last summer. I think it's one of my favorite movies of last year, hands down. That, yeah, that's I, I heard a lot of great things about it. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. I you know I if, I remember correctly on our year wrap up show last year, David had it as his top movie of last year. Interesting. Yeah. I know. I had it in my top five. I think... I, I, I'm not sure... I don't know if I was on that episode, but I know my top episode was... Uh, I, I think my top uh, film from last year was <laughs> Inherent Vice. Oh, yeah, because you saw it, what, 12 times in theaters? No, just three times. Oh, that's it? Yeah. That's not too bad. No. Uh, new season of South Park starts this week. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, that's exciting. I like South Park. Man, it's going to be so weird not having David here because all of our TV shows coming back. We'll be able to talk to him about them. Uh, it, you know, it's just, it's going to be weird. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to, what I'm going to do about talking about TV. Mm-hmm. Because Chance is so inconsistent on when he can record and everything. Mm-hmm. And then you don't watch any of the stuff. And then, I guess it's going to be Gabe. 
I'm going to have to talk to Gabe about everything. Scary, isn't it? Well, no, the scary thought is we're looking at apartments together. Like, that's the scary thing. Like, <laughs> we'll be consistent out of the sheer fact we're going to be living with him. Possibly. Because I get paid too little to afford a place on my own. Story of my life. Yeah, everybody everybody uh, there seems underpaid from what I understand. Like, uh... Well, the thing I don't get... On average, it costs, in Indiana, a $15 an hour job to have a to be able to afford an apartment mm-hmm. in Indiana. I don't make that. I make $10 an hour. How am I supposed to afford a, an apartment? How am I... They don't even pay us the cost of living. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, you'll get people arguing about, okay, just raise the minimum wage. No, that won't solve anything. Rent will just go up. You know, the, the, like uh, those are like you know. Uh, I'm not an economics expert, but I read you know. Uh, I have some uh, info. Like a lot, a lot of the times, those are like very shallow readings of like because uh, I mean minimum wage has gone up before, but you know it's uh, inflation has gone up, productive pro- worker productivity has gone up, but uh, worker compensation does not you know match those levels. No. And you can actually uh, kind of you know uh, accommodate for uh, some of the the increased. Uh, Wages uh, over uh, by rolling out uh, incremental increases in the wage over time. Uh, like, yeah. uh, I think I read. I, I think pr- there was a study from Purdue. Uh, if they paid uh, workers at McDonald's uh, fifteen dollars an hour, guess how much uh, more a Big Mac would cost? Huh. I think it was like twenty four cents or thirty three cents it? more. Yeah. Shit. Okay. And you know, people bring up. Well, maybe they just go to automated. I mean, uh, there might. Uh, they actually uh, McDonald's and. San, uh, in San Francisco rolled out an automatic uh, ordering system. They actually had to hire more more people to handle it. Oh, wow, really? Which makes sense because, I mean, you can use those, you know, uh, in some capacity to... But, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to need a human being to, like, uh, if you ever go to the Sheets gas stations, like in West Virginia and, like, on the eastern coast, the middle part of the country, uh, they're, they're pretty awesome. Like, they have a kiosk where you can order food, and uh, oh, wow. the food's pretty uh, pretty reasonably priced and pretty good, solid, actually, for, you know, gas station food. Yeah. Uh, so better than the shit I eat at Subway all, or at Speedway all the time. Yeah, I eat it. I eat at Speedway way too much. Well, damn, rewards points that earn me free hot dogs and shit. Uh, but you know, hope, hopefully, like you know, uh, hopefully there's gonna be some changes to the wages, just because it's, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to get ahead. I mean, uh, especially in this day and age with uh, the, uh, of course, the economy slowed uh, during the financial collapse uh, in two thousand eight. Uh, and, like, uh, you know, it's people our age who are really uh, feeling the effects. I mean, of course, there's older folks who might have lost, uh, you know, their uh, 401ks and other savings plans and, like, you know, Bernie Madoff scan- the Bernie Madoff scans or other stuff and, yeah. you know, are forced to work at, like, Walmart some- or another place like that. Some of it might be, you know, a desire to keep busy. Uh, but uh, I think I was talking to my mom about that, and she said, you know, uh, she wonders about, you know, are they – are they doing this to supplement their income? Well, because, you know, oftentimes people at age, you know, they might have uh, previously uh, done volunteer work as a way to stay busy, but now they need the income. And, you know, we're like, uh, uh, from what I understand, you know, people our age, you know, we're going we're gonna to do less, worse than our parents on average. Uh, and, you know, we're, the, we're uh, really educated, but, you know, there's just not the jobs there. Uh, I have a master's degree, and I'm bartending right. part-time. 
I have a bachelor's degree and I'm fucking scrubbing kegs for $10 an hour. And, uh, you know, it's not for lack of trying. I've, I've applied to a lot of places. I'm actually working for free, uh, writing articles, uh, writing articles for free. Like, uh, and some of it's cool because, uh, you know, I've gotten to do some uh, interesting interviews and uh, I get, you know, access to music early and then I can review it, but, you know. What interview do you have for us today, actually? Uh, yeah, like, uh, uh, I... It's it's up on Pop Matters uh, where I write, uh, but uh, we're gonna have like the full audio I think up maybe for this for this episode. For this uh, episode, I'll put it in right uh, here. Bill Strauss, a really interesting guy. Uh, he uh, pr- he was one of the producers of uh, the uh, film uh, Straight Outta Compton. Uh, he's actually I haven't uh, seen it yet. I need to. It's a really good biopic. It's like uh, one of the uh, what's kind of funny about it is uh, Paul Giamatti. I guess now kind of has. Uh, might have a new career in playing uh, slimy inner circle uh, guys because he played uh, Dr. Eugene Landy in uh, Love and Mercy earlier this summer. And then he was a slave owner in 12 Years a Slave. He's a slave trader. So again, slime and... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, he plays uh, Jerry Heller in... Uh, excuse me, Straight Outta Compton, which... Uh, Jerry was, you know, kind of instrumental in uh, getting uh, uh, the music of NWA out there. He signed them front of them uh it's kind of a nuanced portrait of him uh, you know uh there's times where you really like jerry but there's times you're also like what a fucking asshole gotcha uh but uh he was also he also founded reckless records with uh eric wright aka easy motherfucking e yeah uh and the story of how they uh, got the movie made is actually uh, quite interesting because uh for he uh for years uh they weren't able to get the music rights for the nwa bio because they were uh Partially, they're partially held by uh, Easy Easy's widow uh, Tamika, yeah. and uh, you know the, the, Bill told me that they first tried to get, trying to get the movie made in two thousand four. Uh, oh wow! And you know it was like uh, just a matter of uh, talking to somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew to, to knew Tamika. Yeah. And uh, you know I know Ice Cube and them didn't end on good terms or something like that. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a beef that that's covered in the movie because of like uh, Ice Cube wasn't happy with uh, the like. Uh, does it go all the way up to his passing? Uh, yeah. Oh. That movie basically, uh, the movie kind of is like the the arc of uh, kind of uh, Easy E's like kind of the main character. I mean, gotcha. obviously, you know, uh, Cube and Dre have uh, important parts in it. Like, you know, they're almost like the like uh, the A minus story because you know they're not quite the B story, but they're not you know quite important enough to be the uh, A story because the movie opens with uh, Easy E had a drug deal gone wrong, and then. Uh, Basically ends with his death and then a little bit of the aftermath. Uh, gotcha. But uh, from what Bill told me, uh, Cube didn't come on till a little bit later. Uh, Dre didn't come on till I think maybe one or two years ago. Gotcha. Uh, but uh, it was just a matter of like you know, uh, kind of like talking to Tamika and then like kind of uh, crafting the story. And he said it actually kind of made things better because the fo- originally the film was just just kind of going to focus on the uh, Jerry Heller Easy relationship, but then it kind of expanded. Like when Cube came on board. Uh, to you know, look, examine his solo career and uh, what Dre did. Gotcha. And there's actually kind of a really uh, surreal moment. I saw a tweet about it. Uh, uh, F. Gary Gray, who directed Straight Outta Compton, also directed uh, Friday, which oh. Ice Cube wrote. Yeah. And there's a scene uh, where Ice Cube is at his house and he's writing, working on uh, the script for Friday. And in the background uh, are his uh, two sons, and uh, of course, uh, Ice Cube's son is playing, playing him in the film, Cube, so yeah. he's uh, being directed. Uh, Ice Cube's son is being by uh, the guy who direct, being directed by the guy who directed him in Friday, in a scene where he writes Friday with his younger self is in the background. Oh, wow. It was kind of awesome. That's kind of trippy. It, it's a pretty good bio film. Uh, you know, they uh, don't kind of, 
Obviously, you know, with every bio picture, they might gloss over some of the more uglier aspects of the artist. I mean, they yeah. they do this to a certain extent, but they do, you know, show some of the. It's kind of a more nuanced portrait than you might expect. Uh, so they you know do show some of the negative things they did. Uh, but one thing that got cut from the film script, uh, Bill said, you know, he couldn't really speak to you know why because he by, by that point he wasn't you know as involved. Uh, but there was a scene where uh, it's a famous incident uh, where. Uh, Dr. Dre assaulted a music writer, uh, D. Boron. She wrote an article for Gawker about it and everything like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, straight out of confidence, it's a great film. There's actually some Oscar buzz. There's some really good performances in it. Uh, yeah, I, I really need to see it. But again, yeah, going back to the lack of money, <laughs> right? And it's it, hard to go out. It's also you know a pretty lengthy film. It's almost three hours. Three hours, yeah, just short of three hours. Mm -hmm. It's a great time. biopic, though. It's uh, and like uh, we we kind of talked that you know Bill feels that. Uh, Part of the reason, you know, the the film, you know, was done so well at the box office is, you know, people were kind of ready for uh, a little bit of uh, something different from, like, you know, the offerings this summer. Like, you know, you know pe maybe people are a little bit sick of everything being superhero films and a big action films. You know, yeah. sometimes it's nice to have, you know, uh, so another offering. Yeah. Well, very true. And, you know, it didn't have much competition. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but, uh... Speaking of, like, journalism type stuff, I'm actually... Well, gonna... Let's cut to the, the interview and then right. get back into it, all right? All right. Hello? Hi, is this uh, Bill Strauss? Hi, this is uh, Andrew Crowley uh, from Pop Matters uh, calling for the interview. Oh, how are you doing, Andrew? Pretty good. Yourself? Good, good. <laughs> um, thanks for uh, thanks for asking to interview me. Thanks for uh, the opportunity. Uh, uh, really sure. excited, really excited about this. Uh, I really enjoyed Straight Outta, Straight Outta Compton. I think it was uh, I think it's one of the best uh, music bios I've seen. Uh, so yeah. my yeah. Uh, so my uh, first question for you, uh, Straight Outta Compton has been very successful at the box office. Uh, was this uh, kind of in line with your expectations for the film? Um, you know, I think that I always thought it could do sort of like the same kind of business as 8 Mile, mm -hmm. which was, you know, really successful at the box office as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, I always really did feel that the film would strike a chord commercially. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the thing is, so in some ways I'm not that surprised by how well it's doing. Um, what has been a surprise has been some of the critical response and some of the, like, the awards talk this early. Like, I did not picture myself potentially at the Kodak Theater in March. Mm -hmm. And that, that, there's been some talk of that already, which would be incredible, obviously. You know, so mm -hmm. uh, that that aspect of it has been has been the bigger surprise for me. But I've all, I've always understood the um, the sort of pro profound place that I saw at NWA sat in the cultural zeitgeist, if you will. Um, what is it about uh, NWA uh, you think that resonates so strongly with so many people? One thing, you know, I think you've got a couple things happening that has um, 
has informed like what's happening commercially. Like I think you have a whole generation of people probably in their you know thirties and forties who bought the album when they were kids and had a um, you know and had a, an incredible affinity for the album. I, I've met so many people across all races and social mm-hmm. strata who have like emphatically told me about what happened in their lives and how much NWA meant to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be anybody from, you know, a guy from Japan to like a kid who grew up in the suburbs in Kansas City mm-hmm. to somebody who grew up in South Central. You know, so um, I think they had a deeply personal effect on people all across the globe. And then um, the other thing is I think that maybe for the younger generation, you know, the the music and the images are exciting. Um, And I think that has to do with counter-programming and that the the glut of summer superhero movies or giant action movies, you know, at a a certain point, it's like, you know, what more can they do? Mm Um, and that this is just something completely different that, you know, I mean, based on the music, because of the music and the energy, um, is, is going to respond to young people. And so I think that, and then I think there's sort of a third, probably generation older than the, the people who bought the NWA records who are, um, you know, and this is kind of across all three strap, uh, demographics that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But I think there's probably a lot of people that are curious based on the political, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And how it just completely coincides with what's going on in the sort of national conversation, Mm -hmm. the headlines. So, you know, I think a lot of things have come together to make it even more successful than 8 Mile. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, yeah. That, that I think that's my that would be my answer. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely uh, think uh, especially like with uh, all, all the things going on with the increased awareness of police brutality, but the Black Lives Matter movement, I, I think that's one reason why people responded so strongly because there's there's some Im- imagery in the film uh, that you know definitely resonates. It seems you know almost ripped directly from the headlines of today. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. um Oh, oh, no, go ahead. Well, I just think, I mean, I guess what I was going to say is that, you know, I've been part of this project from from the very uh, beginning because the first script was submitted to me, and it's just part of NWA's story, mm-hmm. the issue of police brutality, you know, as it relates to kids growing up in South Central L.A., and um, so... You know, it, it was always going to be a part of this story, and it was just sort of this, um, you know, coincidence in mm-hmm. a way that, that that the headlines when the film came out were about what was going on in L.A. in the 80s. I mean, you know, coincided so much with what was going on in South Central in the 80s mm-hmm. and early 90s. So it was always going to be a part of the story, no matter when the film came out. Right. Uh, what were some of the challenges of making a film about a group in which uh, some of the members are still living and some of them are deceased? Um, well, I mean, I don't know how much 
Hogan, Justin, told you about my um, involvement. Mm-hmm. But my involvement was in myself and um, one of the original writers and uh, my David Engel, who I was working with at the time, who's the other DP, you know, on the card with me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we really, we sort of accomplished what was supposed to be impossible mm-hmm. by getting by getting the music rights right. from Easy's Widow. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, I think for her, you know, it really sort of had to be the right time. And, it was, you know, people had been, many people, you know, took, you know, we had heard and we could, from different places, had tried to get the rights mm-hmm. to, the, um, to the NWA story. And, um, uh, the 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 widow just was not comfortable with uh, you know her name is Tamika she's one of the producers on the film Tamika was not comfortable with um, with with letting go of the music I think I think a lot of it had to do with honoring someone who was deceased mm-hmm. in the right way and, and honoring his legacy in the right way mm-hmm. and her feeling an enormous sense of responsibility about protecting his legacy and we you know happened to come up I mean it's sort of a long story that um you know like we basically sort of were through six degrees of separation got to her but it took us two years and we mm-hmm. had to go to someone who knows her who knew her who knew, who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew her and we we um tailored with each successive interview we tailored the script to make it something that was more um you know on target from her perspective mm-hmm. about Eric right easy um so I think you know the first part of your question about somebody who is deceased portraying and that was a real challenge and it took us two years mm-hmm. and it was a really profound part of the what got this film made uh so, and, you know, that's, that's sort of my big contribution. I became, I was less involved in the production, and as it were, than, than the sort of setting it up for the movie to actually be able to be made. Because um, you couldn't make this movie, obviously, without the music rights. Right. So, there was that. You know, and then, you know, I think Cube and Dre, Dre took, um, he didn't, he took a long, long time to, to come aboard. He didn't come aboard until two years ago. Mm-hmm. We sold the film to New Line in 2006. We started on trying to get the music rights in 2004. We sold the film to New Line in 2006, and the day we sold it is when Cube came in, and I think Cube came in out of a sense of responsibility that the film was done correctly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, originally the story was more about the EVE, Jerry Heller, aspect in the, you know, the AIDS story, and, um, you know, Cube, Cube, when he came in, you know, they, we, we made it a bigger story about all of them, and I think it's a better film because of the scope and mm-hmm. the way it, it follows Greg, Cube, and Easy. Um, I think that, uh, I think that Dre was also similarly concerned about the legacy, and that's why it took him forever to to come in and my understanding is that Cube had to work really hard to convince him and um, ultimately he was able to, to sort of convince, convince Ray that they would do it the right way. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, but they, they were all concerned about, and it's great, felt like, you know, our legacy's already great. Why, why potentially do something that would, that could only tarnish it? I, I think that was more his perspective, like, you know, why it can't get any better. But he eventually came around and, you know, it'll be, I think he'll be glad. I think he's glad. Um, uh, uh, yeah, like uh, you talk about like uh, how the focus uh, maybe initially was on the Easy E uh, Heller relationship. Uh, Easy E does feel like like the main arc of the film. I mean, obviously, you know that the B and C, the B stories involved, you know, the other stories involving Dre and Cooper important. Uh, but I mean, the film starts with Easy E, and uh, you know, the film kind of comes to an end with you know uh, the death of Eric, right? Uh, now, like, uh, how did uh, like, because uh, you know, it's a it's a fairly lengthy movie, almost three hours. Uh, th- there was a scene in the early drafts of the script uh, involving uh, uh, Doctor Dre's assault of uh, D. Barnes. Uh, I-, I know you've talked about that with uh, NPR. Uh, what-, what reason did that uh, not make the film? Um, you know, I don't, I wasn't privy to to those decisions at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, it's really hard for me to speak to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, I think, I think, you know, they, they had it, you know, I saw it in the earliest versions of the script and, you know, F. Gary Gray said they had it in the first script that he saw. And, uh, you know, I think that's just sort of the editorial process. And, um, it's, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really know, I don't really know the answer mm-hmm. to that question. So I don't want to speculate, really. Right. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, like, kind of the lengthy process uh, of meeting with uh, Tamika to get the uh, rights to NWA's music and, you know, kind of get her side of uh, the story and Eric's side of the story uh uh, part of that, what was the what was the research process like for the screenwriters and for the production of the film? Um, well, at that point, and from two thousand four to two thousand six, it was sort of like they would go and they, you know, there's a guy named Lee Savage, and Lee was a documentarian. He was one of the original writers, and he had done a movie called Welcome to Death Row about Suge Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like sort of the whole reason we were kind of able to get to Tamika because at first, I, you know, I had lunch with him at Sunday in 2004 and I said, look, you know, this is, um, I like your script and everything, but apparently my friend from 40 Acres and the Mules, Mike Lee's company, had told me it was impossible to get the music rights. They had tried, a couple mm-hmm. other big producers had tried. Um, the rumor was that people in the group had tried. Uh, and he said it's, you know, you know, and so, so I, it's impossible to get him. So I had lunch with Lee, and Lee, you know, had a connection, like I was talking about the six degrees of separation. Um, so what we would do is he'd go meet with someone, and, you know, we would just sort of like add little nuances about Eric and the relationship with Eric and Jerry Heller. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had some conversations with Heller at some point. I think before we saw the script, um, and it would just, you know, so, I mean, it was just, you know, people that knew, uh, easy at, you know, at, at different 
junctures from the earliest days when he was um, slimy, as they say in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to the, the final days. And um, that, you know, I, I think it just only colored the narrative more and more so that it got to a point where when we finally got, you know, to Tamika's, like, when Tamika's closer confidants, who got her the script, it was close enough that, um, that, that it worked for her. You know, we had stuff there about Tamika and Eric's courting, mm-hmm. I remember. You know, and some of that was pretty, um, you know, I think probably, was probably, probably helped, you know, because she was, I mean, the story might have been a little bit more about, um, you know, the HIV and him finding a girl that was good for him. Mm-hmm. And so we had, we had some of, like, sort of their courting and him, like, becoming a one-woman guy kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, um, maybe some of that. I, I don't really remember all the little details, to be honest, because mm-hmm. it was a long time ago now. Right. But that, that's some of what's coming back here. Um, uh, was there anyone who was not a, not happy about their portrayal on screen? Uh, I could see uh, maybe Jerry Heller being a little upset. Yeah, I mean, only the only thing I I mean I know as much as you do. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I mean I've read a few things uh, from Heller. I I don't know if I've read anything since he saw the movie. I've read that he hadn't seen the movie and he's gonna wait to to pass judgment until he's seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not sure, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I mean, that's the, you know, I, I can't imagine he's going to be thrilled, but again, that, you know, that's also speculation, but I do, mm-hmm. I, I actually think there's some scenes where he's portrayed very evenly, like, I think the scene, you saw the movie, right? Yes, uh, I, saw, I saw it opening weekend. Okay, great, thank you. Mm-hmm. The scene, you know, I think the scene in, um... Torrance, where, where are you based? Uh, Pop Matters is based in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, I'm uh, freelancing from them uh, from Indianapolis. Oh, okay. I spoke to someone else in Indianapolis, actually. Okay. Um, well, do you know Torrance is a suburb of L.A.? Right. For the scene at the sound studio, when they um, when the cops confront them, mm-hmm. you know, when they step outside of the sound studio and Heller says, like, you know, you can't just arrest these guys from the black. I mean, I think he's kind of sympathetic in some places. Like, you, mm-hmm. you, um, you know, you, you, you really can't help but, um, there's points in the movie where you like him. Oh, yeah. So, so I think it's like, I think it's actually a fairly balanced portrayal of him. And I think, you know, that's kind of a credit to, to, to have Gary Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and John Herman. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I mean, like, I mean, even, even, like, when the guy's waiting outside his house, and he's like, what are you, you know, what are you doing here? Like, who are you? Like, you're, you're kind of scared for Jerry. Right. You know, less than you want that guy to beat him up. Mm-hmm. So I think they, they, um, you know, I, I think in some ways he's going to be upset, but in some ways he, you know, I, you know, in some ways he was a three-dimensional character, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the. It's, he, yeah, he's not as uh, cartoonishly villainous as uh, another uh, character Paul Giamatti played in a music bio this year, uh, Doctor Eugene Landy. 
Uh, what was, what, I, I didn't, what, what, what movie was that? He's not in the Beach Boys movie, is it? Uh, yeah, he was in Love and Mercy as uh, Dr. Eugene Landy. Oh, I didn't see it. Okay. I should know that, I guess. But, uh, was he a, was he a two-dimensional bad guy in, in that movie? Um, it, it kind of felt that way. Like, uh, uh, yeah. there wasn't as much nuance, but I, I mean, I guess, you know, because uh, Landy, you know, was kind of a parasite, whereas, you know, Heller, you know, might have had his faults, but he also did some good things for them as well. I gotta see that movie. Paul Dano, I did a movie that Paul, I produced a movie that Paul Dano started in 2007. So I, I like to see what he's up to. Uh, he, he's good. Um, he, he makes a good Brian Wilson, and the casting in that is uh, about as good as uh, it was for Straight Outta Compton. Like, the guy they had they have playing Van Dyke Parks is dead on. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I should see that. I, you know, I guess I should start studying up on the other music biopics out there. I'm, I'm trying to do something like a music biopic next. Mm -hmm. But it's not really a music biopic. It's more of a, it's a little bit different. All right. So. Uh, um, you begin, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. Um, you, you kind of uh, began your career as a production assistant on uh, Boys in the Hood. Uh, how did that influence uh, your interest in uh, getting uh, Straight Outta Compton made? Um, well, you know, I was a, you know, I was a teenager in, in New York City in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And I was around, um, I was around like the birth. I mean, you know, some people will tell you it started in the 70s in the Bronx, which is true. Mm-hmm. But at least it left, when, it left, when it first left the Bronx, I was around that okay. in the early '80s, um, and uh, and so I was always kind of, you know, um, I was really influenced by by it as a teenager. You know, some kids grow up there in the comic books. Mm -hmm. Some kids grow up there into you know baseball. I grew up. I was in the, you know, sort of like like the b boy. Um, uh, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, when I got to college and I, I met John Singleton and we were friends. Mm -hmm. And I had some friends who had become sort of like, this, nowadays nobody knows them, but at the time, like if you were into rap, you thought these guys were really cool. Mm -hmm. And so I was friends with these rappers and I brought John to their album party. And so I was always sort of, you know, I, I think your question was like, how did Boys in the Hood influence me, but I think I already th those influences were already theirs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and it, like it would have been disingenuous to go off and have a career that didn't, um, you know, to go off and try to produce movies that didn't incorporate that mm -hmm. those influences. You know, in some respect, I certainly have other projects that have nothing to do with rap music, but that was always sort of my little niche was the. Um, the marriage of rap music and uh, and film, mm -hmm. and and always wanted to do it in kind of an elevated way. And I think actually the Paul Dano movie is a good example. Mm -hmm. That movie was in Sundance in 2007. Uh, although it wasn't, I mean, it was just more like. Or people called it like Boys in the Hood meets Larry Clark, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, but I've certainly done other ones, but but that's. You know, I don't think it was Boys in the Hood that necessarily influenced me as much as the earlier influences. Right. Yeah. Um, how has Hollywood changed in the time between Boys in the Hood and Straight Outta Compton? 
come full circle mm-hmm. because that was a really exciting time for these kind of films because you had Boys in the Hood, you had New Jack City, you had... Um, Do the Right Thing. Uh, Spike Lee's, yeah. Spike Lee, you know, like Spike Lee's kind of golden era. Mm-hmm. You had, um, what, I'm forgetting, a good, oh yeah, Menace to Society. Right, and um, I think... Uh, Melvin, Friday, yeah. uh, uh, um, Melvin Van Peebles or his son? I'm sorry? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Melvin Van Peebles' son was also doing stuff too, I think, in the 90s. Uh. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, that was uh, New Jack City. Right. Somebody, somebody said Fear of a Black, was talking about Fear of a Black Hat the other day, which is maybe the funniest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a good um, one. Do you remember that movie? Yes, sir. Oh, I love that movie. Um, but anyway, uh, so that was a cool thing. Then I was an executive at New Line, and I was a producer for a long time. And I just felt like, um, you know, somewhere in the late 90s, people just kind of lost interest in doing movies like that. Mm-hmm. They became this, they kind of got, like, uh, ghettoized, for lack of a better word, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where there was no thought that they could cross over. Right. Um, and and so that, that you know, I mean, I, I'm actually, my, the last four years, I'm in New York now, in the last four years, I've kind of moved to, to the indie world, mm-hmm. which I find to be really just enlightened, uh, as opposed to the studio world. You know, I, as I've explained, that the straight up companies that led to do work I was doing 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, now I'm a sales agent. I mean, that's sort of my main day-to-day gig is I sell independent films. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, some of that was a little bit out of the frustration of, of the superhero movies becoming, you know, what everybody wanted in the comic books. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, to me, I just, I just feel like, you know, Hollywood has contracted um, and, you know, they, the, they just kind of always um, uh, default to the lowest common denominator, that might be the longest word, but the safest films for them to make to keep their jobs. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, and that's why, that's why we have, that's why Compton's so successful, because we have all these summer movies that are so, um, you know, I used the word monolithic mm-hmm. the other day, and that's, I can't think of a better one. And that's why Compton, that's a big reason I think Compton's so success, been so successful, because it's, it's so different. And I'm hoping that you know, I'm hoping that, I think there's going to be, you know, there's probably going to be a wave of copycats right now mm-hmm. of movies that want to be, like, straight out of Compton that people are making because of the success. And hopefully, hopefully the, the people behind them or the studios behind them have a, have a inkling of a smidget of a clue of what the hell they're doing. Because, um, because they could, you know, you know, they're not, they're not going to work if they're not done right. Right. And if the ideas, and also if the ideas aren't right. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. But I do, I do at the same time look forward to it and look forward to, um, you know, the, the way this, this will probably influence decisions out there. All right. Uh, that's all the questions I have for you. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Mr. Okay. Strauss. Sure, Andrew. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing it, and um, you know, if you have any more, I'm always around. All right, great. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.
We're sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. This is a recording. All right. As you were saying? Uh, but speaking of journalism, I'm actually considering a little bit of a career change because uh, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a rut uh, personally, uh, professionally, etc. Male prostitute? Uh, no. Uh, Going down with some dicks? Uh, no, IAPUI no, has a no, uh, no. master's in sports journalism program, and uh, I'm thinking of applying. Oh, uh, dude, go for it. Uh, probably start uh, next semester. Yeah, fucking A. And speaking of sports journalism, I, I'm actually working on a uh, piece right now for... Uh, uh, Columbus Republic has uh, two magazines that they publish uh, monthly. One of them is Columbus um, Magazine, which got, you know, it's kind of a general interest... Uh, Magazine similar to like uh, Indianapolis Monthly, and then there's She Magazine, which is a uh, woman-focused uh, magazine. Uh, I actually got this gig. Uh, somebody I befriended from OK Cupid. Uh, they're like, "Hey, uh, I need freelancers." Uh, nice. So uh, the piece I'm working on right now for them, I actually uh, just did some interviews for it today. Uh, one of the new pacemates uh, is from Columbus, Indiana, so I'm doing a profile on her. Uh, and on Thursday, I'm going to be uh, attending a pacemates practice, so I'll get a little insight into... Yeah. Uh, I- I'm just excited because, you know, I-, I think it'll really add to the profile because not a lot of people get a glimpse into that world. Uh, the whole thing has been really interesting, uh, really fascinating, and, uh, you know, I've, I really enjoy the process of interviewing. I mean, it's nerve-wracking because I always worry, do I not have enough questions? Are they good questions? Yeah. Uh, I always worry about, is my equipment going to fail? Uh, then I, then then you get to the point where you have to transcribe the interviews, which is a I bitch. Hate I hate transcribing interviews. Oh, my God. No, for the entire time I was at WFYI, the, I mean, besides a few times I actually got to go out on shoots, that's all I was doing. It was the worst. Just because, like, you know, 20 minutes of interview can take you an hour or more sometimes. Yeah. Especially if they want you to go through a whole tape of interviews my entire day... Uh, this internship was just transcribing. And it can get a little bit monotonous, but, you know, it's it's nice because then you get d- good direct quotes. And, uh, yeah. so, you know, I enjoy that pr- aspect of it. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I applied to be, uh, do, like, uh, sports writing elsewhere. Like, uh, never heard, haven't heard anything back from Fanside, which is, like, the publication of uh, SB Nation. Uh, and I, I, I got rejected uh, when I applied to write, write for free, mind you, uh, yeah, why would they do that? That's weird. Just yeah, think, it's... Eh, that's silly. Well, uh, for, uh... Let's see, what what was it? Uh, no, no, that's right. SB Nation, fan side is for SI. I got them switched. Uh, gotcha. uh, I think the clips I had, I had, like... I can, like, Grantland does this great thing during the NBA season. The uh, Triangle, that, that's their sports vlog. Uh, they'll up, do updates for, like, short pieces. They do the Triangle All-Stars. So, like, the usually the wackier, weirder players. So, like, uh... The 13-14 season, Lance Stevenson and Giannis Antetokounmpo were on it, uh, Marching Gortat. So I did my own take of that. Uh, I My team was coached by Rashid Wallace. I had Kobe Bryant coming off the bench because I knew that would piss him off. Uh, I had, uh, I think I had, I had uh, Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook is basketball cocaine. <laughs> uh, Lance Stevenson of the two because that would be the most uh, explosive backcourt. Uh, maybe not point scoring wise, but you know. Shenanigans. I think I had Giannis at the three. Uh, Boogie Boogie Cousins at the four. Uh, no, it was fun, and I kind of gave a reason for why. Uh, I picked each of them. I I think I had Professor Andre Miller as a backup point guard. Uh, Metal World Peace. Uh, 
And then uh, the, the other clip I submitted, because the, the application wasn't, you know, like, it was very basic. You couldn't even put in, like, your resume or anything like that, which, you know, it's like, I have a motherfucking degree in journalism. I know what I'm fucking doing. I mean, yeah. I may not, might not have written a lot of uh, sports stuff. I mean, I took a sports journalism class uh, my senior year of uh, college, which... Uh, was really awesome. I took it with uh, Bob Kravitz, who uh, at the time was yeah, writing for the Star, and now he's uh, writing for WTHR. And uh, like one thing we had to do was uh, write weekly columns, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it because I kind of started to realize uh, that you know uh, sports columnists can you can address social thing social issues uh, through sports. Uh, like you could uh, like for example, I wrote about uh, Ben Roethlisberger and uh, the rave allegations surrounding him and how. Like the discrepancy in punishment for some of the players, like Roethlisberger got off lights, uh, and for example, Adam Pacman Jones and some other African American players got hit pretty hard with a hammer by Roger Goodell, uh, mm. and you know th- things like that. You know, so that that you know that really got me interested in uh, doing that. Uh, plus, you know, I, I love basketball and I like writing and thinking about it. But uh, I actually the piece that kind of got me my foot in the door with Pop Matters. Uh, which, you know, I wish I was getting paid, but you know, it's nice to have, you know, uh, you know, a website of, you know, uh, of that stature. Like, they, you know, they get a lot of visitors and things like that. It's nice to have a place to have, uh, you know, clips that will give a little more weight to a resume. But I, uh, I actually wrote this for, like, one of my personal blogs. This is, uh, you know, just fucking around uh, over the... Where can they read your personal blog? Yeah. Eh, you you pitched it. You know, I feel like you now have to. Well, you know, the, they can uh, they can read this this thing because I mean my personal blog's not that interesting. My pieces are more interesting, but because okay. the, the I, I it was a it, uh, I basically uh, they had a, I happened to see that they had open submissions. Uh, uh, over the last year or so, I've started listening a lot to Steely Dan a lot. I I think I started uh, I had them off my out of my iTunes library, uh, but then I uh, added them back in like around the finals last year. Uh, and there's this idea, there's this phenomena, uh, Spurs Dad, uh, and like there were a couple articles about Spurs Dad, and some of them mentioned Steely Dan, and I l- listened to Steely Dan, at first kind of as a joke, because uh, I, I found them a little too slick at times, but I really came to enjoy it, and then uh, a co-worker of mine at uh, the brewery I work at, uh, we listened to the Steely Dan Pandora station at work, uh, and actually, uh, at, the end of, at the end of July, uh, we, I drove from Indiana to Detroit. He drove from Canada to go see uh, Elvis Costello and Steely Dan in Detroit, and it was an awesome concert. Uh, I bet. Uh, How scary was Detroit? I'm like we we're in the suburbs. I mean, like Detroit itself, you know, looked fine, you know. Gotcha. But uh, so I wrote this piece like uh called uh you can find it on popmatters.com, uh, Barry Town or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Yacht Rock. I also watched uh, there's this uh. There's this web series uh, on Channel 101 uh, a couple years ago. I see what you mean about the hops being mellowed out a little yeah. bit. Where else? Especially for a double IPA. Yeah. But, uh, well, sometimes with those double IPAs, like, uh, the, they might be more malt forward, more boozy forward than the hop carrot. But, uh. Not bad. Yeah. But we, uh. I lost my train of thought. Uh, Berrytown, Spurs, uh. Detroit. Detroit. Steely Dan. Oh, but, uh, like, uh, then I, like, just, uh, there's, oh, website, Yacht Rock. Yeah. Uh, Channel 101, uh, Dan Harmon's actually, like, in one episode of it, uh, but, uh, it's basically, like, uh, they have these, they're, like, the episodes are maybe five to ten minutes long, and they, uh, 
they, they go over like different yacht rock anthems. They're still again in some episodes. Uh, a lot of Michael McDonald um, talk how they write, wrote the song. I mean, it's it's completely ridiculous, over the top, not true at all. But uh, you know, it's a it's a fun show. Uh, and then uh, with that, kind of in, in the mind, I, I wrote like a just just for the fun of a twelve hundred word piece uh, on uh, like kind of my experience with yacht rock and how I. Dismissed it when I was a little younger because I found it too slick and how I, uh, you know, I liked some aspects of the dam. Like I liked uh, their first record, uh, but then I, I then I got into it and then you know I I talk about you know the similarities between uh, the San Antonio Spurs and uh, Steely Dan, nice. and so you know maybe that was a little too cerebral for them or something like that, but or too um, out of left field. But you know I, it was fun and people seemed to really like it. Uh, although one guy took exception to the term yacht rock, which Seems that's a more of a modern invention. Uh, like uh, folks who you know weren't born in that era who listened to the music since then have kind of coined for that. But you know it kind of fits uh, the term, like you know uh, that laid back, sunny uh, California vibe. Uh, it's like uh, you know precise in- instrumentation, that sort of thing. And you know Steely Dan, it's like uh, I mean you wouldn't call the Beatles a psychedelic rock band, but there are aspects of their career that is psychedelic. For example, Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour. And even like Revolver, of course. And then Steely Dan, you know, I wouldn't call them a rock, yacht rock band, but there are aspects. They do share a lot of personnel who uh, played on some of the same uh, yacht rock records, like uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter, Michael McDonald provided vocal- backing vocals on a couple of the tracks, and Michael McDonald, of course, with uh, either Solo or the Doobie Brothers, kind of had that slick uh, sound. Gotcha. So, yeah, if you, uh, watch uh, Channel 101 for yacht rock. And uh, speaking of Channel 101, if you're a Rick and Morty fan, there's a, there was a series on there that was a precursor to uh, Rick and Morty uh, 2, actually. Uh, one of them was uh, House of Cosby's, where uh, obviously, you know, it's going to play in a different light uh, these days, given, you know, uh, the allegations surrounding uh, that jackass. Uh, Finish your thought. But, uh, like, uh, for example, Mr. Meeseeks uh, from Rick and Morty. There's a character called, I'm Curiosity Cosby, who says his name, uh, nice. and they got, like, a season desist order from the letter, from the lawyers, so there's a, the final episode, like, is a departure from the look of the show, and they do horrible things to the Cosby, uh, lawyer, and, uh, then there was actually another thing, uh, cause he's like, you know, uh, it's fun to be litigate, get season desist letters, so he did one, uh, uh, Doc and Marty, uh, with Marty spelled differently, and they're basically uh, prototypes of Rick and Morty, nice. like a short thing, and then uh, then Rick and Morty came out of that. Nice. All right, uh, we're getting close to the end of the episode here. Um, I just watched an episode of the House of Cosby's. That uh, was pretty great. I'm curious to Cosby. That's so yeah. That's obviously you know it's a little. You might obviously it's a little uncomfortable to watch because of all the shit with him, but there there are some funny gags and it's it's always fun to hear somebody do a Cosby impersonation. Oh, they're they're great uh, on uh, well Ralph Garman is absolutely great on mm-hmm. Hollywood Babylon because he he was doing Cosby impersonations before mm-hmm. and they've only gotten better. And uh, then we also watched a trailer for Supermansion. Uh, yeah, it's uh, actually we've had one of the creators on our show, uh, Zeb Wells. He's currently writing, well, he was writing the Samurai Jack comic. I don't know if he still is. And he, Did he write Spider-Man at one point, I want to say? Yeah, I, I feel like he was. During, like, the Brand New Day era when they were trouble shipping? Yeah. Uh, we've had him on the show. And uh, this is 
it started out as like a fan film mm-hmm. that he did, the uh, Uber. Ubermensch or something like that. It was like something like that. I don't remember the name, but it became what you saw the trailer for, which is being produced by the creators of Robot Chicken. It looks like a, an extended episode of Robot Chicken, starring Brian Cranston, Keegan Michael Key, uh, Jordan Peele. I saw. Yeah, like it's uh, Breck and Mayer, like another ro- Robot Chicken regular. So, yeah, and of course Seth Green. Uh, it looks pretty awesome. It looks like it'll be a fun show. It's premiering this fall on Crackle, which also has a Joe Dirt movie on there. <laughs> oh, Joe Dirt 2? Joe Dirt 2. I still haven't seen it. I, I, don't, I don't know I, if I want to. I don't know if I want to either. Uh, yeah. You know, I actually, I, I watched, it was on TV yesterday, speaking of just the Happy Madison Productions, I watched uh, Here Comes the Boom. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a bad movie. It was entertaining. Which is saying something because I don't like Kevin James. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, man, he lost a lot of weight for this movie only to put it all back on for Paul, Paul Blart. Blart. Mall Cop too. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did a couple other things. Yeah. I mean, they're like a grown-up sequel. And you, know, yeah. you know who was supposed to play his role in Grown Ups? Who? Chris Farley. That's, when the, that's how long the first movie had been written. Oh, wow. It was supposed to have Chris Farley. Wow. As... And then got replaced by Kevin James. Good thing he died. Uh, <laughs> right. So you could have a well. I guess he has career is fine because you know if you're friends with Adam Sandler, he'll put you in whatever shitty movie he's <laughs> right. making. Whatever shitty movie he comes up next. Which I mean, his next movie won't be too bad. I liked the first one, Hotel Transylvania. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that'll make some money for him. So that's good. Uh, but yeah, I guess that brings this episode to uh, to an end. We're at fifty-two minutes plus your interview. Yep. So the interview was like is like close to half hour. Oh wow. Okay. Sweet. I might trim it up if that's okay. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Is there a lot of dead space, or is it pretty? Um, there might be like some stuff you could trim at the beginning and maybe the end. Uh, I'll I recommend listening to it first. Yeah, then... yeah, of course. All right. Well, that'll put us at about an hour and a half then. So, uh, fun. Uh, I'm gonna have some other pre-recorded bits for this. I'm going to do a uh, a pitch at the beginning of it because uh, I guess I can go ahead and promote it now for a second. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend. You can find me and Gabriel at Starbase Indie. We'll have a booth that weekend and doing a, a panel. They asked us back. They asked us back after the best panel I've ever been on last year, which we did a Future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe panel there. Last year, and it was great. It was awesome. It was a fun conversation. Uh, full auditorium, which I mean, not auditorium, but some convention room, which isn't saying much. It was a rather small room. But, you know, probably like 50 people, which was fine. But uh, they invited us back this year for a future of the DC Cinematic Universe, which is going to be a lot harder to do. What future? <laughs> Man, uh, man, no, there's uh, no way that Batman Superman doesn't make a shit ton of money. There's a, uh, it's a good thing I'm not being asked because you know I would just you know how uh, I would just. Uh, I instantly t- thought, uh, like, hey, can we put a couple more people on this? I instantly thought about having you on. This. Oh God, I'll take off my shoe and start banging it and going into the we will bury you speech. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it was so much easier to do with the Marvel panel mm-hmm. because. 
We <laughs> actually give a shit about Marvel. The huh? Marvel Cinematic. We actually give more of a shit about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, that and they actually they, they're they had proven. a library. Yeah, they had a library of stuff by the time that we did this panel. When we do this in November, they have one movie. <laughs> yep, Jesus Christ pose, uh, Superman. Yeah. Which is in every Superman Which film. Which is in every... Well, was it Almost. in Christopher Reeves' films? I don't know. Probably not. I don't I don't recall it being. I don't think it was until uh, until Smallville. And then uh, Singer. And then Singer. Because Smallville definitely did at the beginning. The first episode definitely has, it has him hanging on a cross. As a scarecrow type thing. Mm-hmm. It's still Superman on a damn... Jesus pose. Which the whole hopeful uh, super Jesus thing is weird because he was created from two uh, by two Jewish kids from Cleveland. You know, if anything, he'd be uh, Super Moses. Yeah, yeah, true. Very, very. I mean, true. he basically is Super Moses. He uh, comes to uh, a couple from a different culture than his in a basket. Yeah. No, I I think he was meant to be like Moses. Oh yeah, I for think. sure. And then somewhere along the way, it it changed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, two Jewish kids, one from Canada. That's why Superman's so nice. <laughs> and then, since it, well, Cleveland? Mm-hmm. They created him in Cleveland? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, it just seems so weird. I mean, we'll have one movie to go off of. Yeah. I have no idea what they're going to do. And, you know, I liked Man of Steel when it came out. My opinion on it has dipped a lot. Just because I, they ruined Jonathan Kent in that movie. Yeah, that's my biggest. That's my biggest thing. <laughs> he got killed by a tornado. Yeah, well, the, I I've said it plenty of times on here. Clark wouldn't even had to have used any superpowers at all to get that dog out. Mm-hmm. He would have just been able to run. Oh, okay. He would have gotten his foot out, but no one would have saw that. And he would have just been able to run back. It just seemed like a... Because usually the Jonathan Kent thing, the whole point of that is, you know, there are some he things... that save everyone. That, yeah, that there's some things that Superman can't uh, change. Yeah, he, there's some people he can't save. You know, that's always been Superman's thing. And I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised. I guess there's more... There's more Batman in Batman v Superman. Okay. Um, and it seems like... Uh, a Superman sequel is on indefinite hold, from the sounds of it. Which is kind of surprising, because there were just rumors that George Miller was going to do the Man of Steel sequel. Which I would be on board for. Yeah, I, I really liked uh, Fury Road, uh, so... Yeah, my, my dad did it. I think he's in his room now, but he did not like Mad Max. Why didn't he care for it? Well, he's like, I never cared for the originals. Okay. And I was just like, yeah, but you don't have to like those to like this one. He was like, I don't like that kind of movie. I was like, you like the Death Race movies? <laughs> you know, I'd never seen it. I'd never actually seen any of the Mad Max films before you I'd seen them. Oh, that's all right. I'll watch them at some point. Yeah, I got them. They're right there. Uh, got all three of them. All four of them now. But, uh... All right, well, we should probably get going soon. Yeah, we should. It's, it's almost nine o'clock and an hour and a half on this episode. So, um, yeah, come find us at Starbase Indie. The weekend of that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Thanksgiving. So it'll be like I always forget if it's the fourth or fifth. Uh, it's last. last we had to week, la- yeah. at the last Thursday of uh, November. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll be there. We'll have a table. Come come visit. Come to our panel. And last year it wasn't just us talking. It was a 
the room was talking, which was nice. It was kind of fun that way. Yeah, everybody was looking at us, but we were talking to everybody. So it was weird being asked questions about what I thought Black Panther was going to be. But, you know, like, I don't know. At least DC has an outline for us. We know what movies they're doing. Question. I know you didn't like, real quick before we go, will you watch the Ben Affleck Batman movies? That he is writing and directing? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I'm just not that excited about them, uh, but, but, but I guess, you know, depending on what the trailers look like. Gotcha. Jeff, ben Affleck and Jeff Jones writing a Batman movie together? I don't know. It excites me. That's what excited me about casting them casting Ben Affleck was the fact that, okay, you get him, he's probably going to direct a Batman movie. All right. Well, um, I'm David West. I'm Andrew Crowley. And... Be on the lookout for the all-new, all-different kind of epic show coming in a few weeks. We're still working on how to get this all formatted and everything, but changes are coming. Hence why the past two episodes were... Uh, the I forget what I named them. Oh, uh, Rapture? Yeah, the Rapture, part one and two, because I thought those were going to be the last two that we would do for a little while. And then I'd come back from those and be like, all-new, all-different... With new numbering, kind of epic show, volume two. No, no, I'm not starting over, guys. No. We thought about it. We thought about ending this, actually ending this version and starting up another uh, RSS feed with a all new, all different, but I don't want to do that. No. I have too much of a backlog. I don't know how to properly uh, archive it so people could still get it. Yeah, no, it makes sense to keep it on, keep on, keep it on. Yeah, I mean, I'm already paying. I don't want to create a second monthly plus payment. you know maybe followers won't, the listeners won't follow you there etc so you know yeah. that's just you know keep on keeping on yeah I, I should say Gabe thought about doing that I was like no I put my foot down on that one alright well um, there'll be another episode I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to get David to do one more I'm driving with him from Chicago and I'm gonna try and get him on another one Matt will probably be on that one, too. I don't know if Matt's driving up with us. But I'll try and get something with them this weekend, and we'll see. So expect something new and different coming in a few weeks. So, all right. Have a good night, I guess. I'm going to hit the space bar because I'm just now rambling. All right. Hey listeners, this is Micus, creator of the kind of epic theme song, Zombie Kids. If you're interested in finding out more about my music, you can check me out at micusmusic.com. Also, I am on iTunes, Facebook, and SoundCloud. You can look me up as Micus Music, and that's M-I-K-U-S, and you know the rest. Alright, peace out everyone. Keep listening.